You're listening to Canada's Court. Here's your host, Philip Drost. Hello, I'm Philip Drost. Welcome to Canada's Court, or I should say, welcome back to Canada's Court. The podcast took a little bit of a break during the global pandemic, but it is officially back, and I'm hoping better than ever, because we've made a little bit of a change to how the podcast works. Canada's Court is expanding to include not just the basketball court, but the rink, field, and wherever sports are played. Canada's Court will now feature in-depth interviews with all Canadian athletes. And we're starting with a pretty good one. Uh, One of the best figure skaters to ever represent Canada. Here's my conversation with three-time Olympic medalist and world champion, Caitlin Osmond. Well, if I wanted to list all the accomplishments of Caitlin Osmond, I would uh, probably not get to this interview, uh, but I'll give a few. There, She's a three-time Olympic medalist, gold and silver in the team events in 2018 and 2014, and bronze as an individual in 2018, a world champion, the first woman to ever have that title uh, from Canada since 1973. And she has a street named after her in Marystown, Newfoundland. Caitlin Osmond joins me now. Caitlin, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, have you been to Caitlin Osmond Drive before? Um, I've driven past Caitlin Osmond Drive, but there's also Osmond Way, which is part of the highway. So I can honestly say I've been a part of that. <laughs> okay, there we go. There we go. Now, I don't know what it's like to have an arena named after me or get a key to the city. Is there any perks with uh, getting a, a key to the city or is that just, you know, just, yeah. just kind of for fun? You know, I thought there was uh, that night my family and I ran out of like ice. We were celebrating and we ran out of ice and I was like, oh, I have the key. I could just go get some. Um, but that's not actually the case. <laughs> well, you know, at least at least it sounds cool. It sounds cool when, in an introduction. So it it's does. better than nothing. So uh, <laughs> obviously you're one of uh, Canada's greatest figure skaters. When, how did you kind of get your start into the sport? Well, I started in in Newfoundland in the rink that was renamed after me eventually down the road. Um, but I started one because I my sister Natasha, she is older than me and she was already skating and I was jealous. So I wanted to be like my sister. And then also my family just wanted us to be athletic and be a part of the sport. And coming from such a small town, our options were very minimal as to what sports we can do so uh, I fell in love with skating instantaneously and really never lost it <laughs> so is is uh is, is Marystown like what like, is there a lot of figure skating there or was it just kind of your sister happened to be into that uh the town had figure skating and hockey in the winter and then for the summer it was like swimming and soccer um I am a terrible swimmer, and when I tried soccer, I sat in the net and picked flowers. Um, my mom and dad did want my sister and I to be hockey players because both my family is, are, both my parents are hockey players uh, or were hockey players at one point. And um, so we were, we were put into skating to be hockey players, but neither of us made the switch over. We felt no skating. Uh, at the time of growing up there, uh, my coach, Jessica Goss, had a lot of like good skaters for Newfoundland and we all went to competitions together and all traveled together. So it just became like a really tight knit family. And my sister eventually made the move to Montreal to improve her skating. And I just like bubbled along and followed. Uh, It sounds like we have a similar soccer skills. When I was five, I played for uh, just a, a local city soccer kids team. And the only game my team won was the game I wasn't at. So uh, that was the end of my soccer career. So I understand. I understand not going not going that route. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned your sister uh, going to Montreal. I guess that was kind of how, how do you make that jump from, you know, local figure skating to starting to do it competitively? How does that happen? Well, in Newfoundland, there 
it was just really difficult to get out of the province to get more competitions. And my sister was at that level where she wanted to start doing more competitions. And she was already going to a junior national championship when we used to have those. They don't exist anymore, but they used to. Um, (laughs) And she had already gone as a single skater and a pair skater, but she wanted to be better. So there was a coach from Montreal that was coming in every now and then to work with a bunch of us skaters. And she had a partner for my sister and said, Hey, if you want to move up to Montreal, we have this option for you. Um, So she wanted to go that route. And my parents wanted me to be able to travel with her so that I had the option to, Um, I never wanted to do pairs. I wanted to do dance, but no one wanted to be my partner. So uh, I stuck with the free skate route and and just stuck to my own person. (laughs) Hey, it it worked out pretty good for you. I think we can say it's safe to say that was uh, what went okay. When did you realize that, you know, this was actually something you were very good at. I don't know, honestly. Um, when I was 10 years old, I was doing ballet training for my skating. And the coach that we had, or the teacher that we had, suggested, hey, if I wanted to go another route, I could get into this ballet school. Um, and immediately my parents went to me and they're like, you can if you want, but you need to make a choice between ballet and skating then. And without hesitation, I said skating. So I think there's a part of me that just knew that skating was a part of who I was. Um, But I never thought I was actually like good, (laughs) I guess, until I went to my first year senior international, uh, not even internationally, but within Canada. And I became the first woman to do a triple toe, triple toe um, in Canada. So I think there was a part of me that was just like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of cool. <laughs> uh, but then it was like a back and forth process. And if I was actually good enough. But um, yeah, so I guess that moment. And I was about 15, 16 years old then. Do you remember your your first time getting to compete at a, an international level? <laughs> yeah, I was 14 years old in Japan. And it was my very first junior Grand Prix. And I got on the ice with one of, I think it was one of the other Japanese skaters. And she went and did like this massive combination jump that was unheard of in any of my figure skating history. And then there was me struggling, rotating one triple. Um, I had a very inconsistent jumping style and I was on the ice, like all proud of my one triple that I landed. And she landed like 10 in front of me. And I was like, I don't think I'm on the right event here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's got to be a a lot. I mean, as a 14 year old to even just like go to Japan and compete at that kind of level, that must have been like, was that feel weird at all? Or was just kind of that's all you knew. So it was okay. Yeah, I don't know. Um, It was so long ago now. And there's been a lot of happening since. Um, but I do remember traveling to that competition and I was used to traveling to competitions within Canada, just with my coach or with our team. And sometimes often my parents went, but we tried to learn how to let me travel, uh, with the rest of them and they would come after kind of thing. Um, so when I was 14 traveling, other than the fact that it was a 14 hour time change and a whole new culture, um, it relatively felt the same. I'm like, I guess, I don't know. I never thought too much of it. I was like, if we don't, if we just pretend it's the same competition, it's the same competition. Um, but like I said, going onto the ice, that was where I clued in that I'm in a whole new world. <laughs> and so take me through the next few years. How did you build up to, you know, getting to be going to the Olympics and representing Canada? Uh, following that, from that first competition two weeks after that I got to go to my second international in Czech Republic and I was so excited and then I was like well this is the route that I go to get to junior worlds it was the first time I really ever heard of junior worlds and I skated terribly the rest of the year (laughs) did not make the junior world team at all not even close not even in question um so I thought that was it I was like all right I guess I maxed out 
my ability. I got to go to Japan. I got to go to Czech Republic. All right, that's cool. Um, the following year, I got injured over the summer, missed the Grand Prix season again. But because I had to take that time off, I automatically finally learned how to do my jumps. Um, and I went from having like very inconsistent jumps to landing jumps that were unheard of in, in Canada. So it was exciting for me to get that. And then I went to my national championship and came third in senior and got to go to my junior world spot. So it just took like an extra year for me to, so <laughs> I really went one year and stretched it into two. <laughs> uh, so, and, sorry. So did you think like over that year and a half, you know, you said you, you kind of struggled for a bit there. Was there a point where you're like, you know, why, why do I even buy? I mean, this is fun, but. Maybe this is my max or did, were you like, you know what? I'm still going to, obviously you were like, I'm still going to keep going at this. Um, <laughs> good question. When I wasn't getting named to a junior world team and stuff like that, it really never affected me. I was angry that I was injured, but I was 14, 15 years old, 15, 16. And it really never crossed my mind because I loved going to the rink. All my friends were skaters. Um, we had like a really close knit group. So for me to go to the, go to school, then go to the rink, it was just so natural for me that if I wasn't qualifying for events or getting talked about or any of that stuff, it really didn't affect me. Um, and I didn't, besides like my little dabblings and going to Japan and Czech Republic, that was my only experience with that. So my main goal was still the national championships, which I was still making it to. So I guess there was a bit of balance there. When did you move past, you know, looking at the national championships and start having things like world championships and the Olympics be what you were looking forward to? It was actually following my first Olympics that I started looking beyond the national championship. Uh, I kind of snuck up and I was only going to a world championships the year prior to the Olympics. So I went to the world where we qualified spots for the Olympics. Um, and I didn't even know what that meant then. <laughs> so I went to my national championships and I won and got named to the world team. So, you know, ideal. <laughs> and it was the first time that I had really two competitions afterwards. I had four continent championships and then, uh, the world championships. And I was so tired. I had zero like motivation to do two more events. Like I knew they were the world championships and all that fun stuff. But I looked at my coach and I was like, I don't, I don't think I can do this. Like the first time that you like make that jump past the national championships, it's a surprising effect on your body. I find uh, you're like, I'm in the best shape of my life, but I have to hold it for two more months. <laughs> How did you, how did you kind of actually push through that then? What was it that made you be like, all right, I'm going to do it. Uh, my coach was just very supportive and uh, funny enough, he was bribing me. <laughs> <laughs> I had a $10 iTunes gift card on the line and all I had to do was do a clean run through in for in a month. I had to make not one mistake. It didn't matter if it was my short or long program, but I was not allowed to make a mistake um, in a program. And if I, if I did it, then I would get the gift card. Of course, it was my worst month of training ever. Um, and I would always do something stupid that would not let me win this gift card. And I got to my world championships and my first program out my short program, I went and did like the perfect short program, zero mistakes, all the bonuses. I finished fourth in the short program, which like nobody expected. And I looked at my coach and I'm like, do I get my gift card now? And he's like, I said before the world. Um, so I never got it. You never uh, got it. Wow. Got it. That feels, that feels like a bit of a ripoff. <laughs> I just looked at him and shook my head and I was like, oh, whatever. Um, <laughs> like that could have gone me 10 songs. Yeah. Um, easy. <laughs> so that, that was comical, but following that next year, my goal was always still national championships because I was like, I'm not good enough to really make a splash on an international stage, but I can win a national championship again. So from there, I went to my next national championship, got named to the Olympic team. Um, 
And then it kind of hit me then. And I was like, okay, I should probably start aiming like beyond nationals when there's more than like one or two competitions left afterwards. So uh, I guess that's when my mentality switched a little bit. Take me back to your first time going to the Olympics. What was that experience like for you? Uh, I wish I could say I had like the world's best experience. That it was everything I ever dreamed of. Um, because that's what I always hear from people. They're like, I walked into the village and it was like, this is why I'm here. Um, I never had that. And I didn't know why. <laughs> um, all my friends, when we got there, they were like crying. They were excited. I'm looking around. I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm like, I know I should be excited, but I think I was so scared about the event. Um, and also I never really watched the Olympics growing up and all of a sudden I was there. Like I qualified for the Olympics two weeks before, three weeks before. And then I was there and I was like, I like, I don't get it. <laughs> um, and I didn't get to my opening ceremonies at either Olympics because I was competing the next day. So I never made it to the opening ceremonies and um, I was very shy and not really knowing many people yet. So I really stuck to my room <laughs> for three weeks <laughs> And I went out on the ice and my coach, like I could see that this was his dream and he was living it. And he looked so excited. Every second we were there, he looked excited. And I walked into the building and he was like, wow, the rings are everywhere. And I was like, the rink is blue, like (laughs) very blue. And that's the only thing I could think about. Um, But it wasn't until I went into my closing ceremonies and I jumped up on the shoulders of one of my friends so that I could actually see. Um, (laughs) And we were all in our Team Canada gear and it was in Russia and there were so many people in this building. Uh, I've never experienced something like that. And we walked up from this like little hole in the middle of the stadium to like walk around and when I just when I got through that little hole to come up into the stadium, it was like out of this world, the energy, the electricity, and like, I don't know, it just felt so surreal. And I was like, this is why people were crying when we got here. This is the feeling they were going for. And it took me until the very end of my first games to actually get it, but I got it. <laughs> And, and from then I was like, okay, I get it. I, I, I realize how amazing this really is. And, and pretty cool to, you know, go to your first games and walk away with an Olympic medal. That can't be, that can't be too bad either. <laughs> you know, it's pretty good for me. Getting that silver medal was a, a little bit difficult. I find actually, I had a really hard time accepting it. Um, in 2018, I went and really made sure that I felt like I deserved that medal but I knew I went into that 2014 team as essentially the weak link in the group. <laughs> and I got to be a part of the team event and I, and I tried, I think my best skates were during the team event, but um, I was on a team with like world champions and uh, <laughs> multiple Olympians. And I was like, I, I don't belong in this group. And I kind of just felt like the one like dragging their heels behind them. So for me to actually get that medal, it was special. It was an honor but it took me a really long time to accept it. Um, And it wasn't until 2018 when I was a part of that gold medal team that I finally accepted my silver. Yeah. I bet you uh, a lot of people would be surprised to hear, you know, someone who has an Olympic medal to say, you know, I didn't feel like uh, I didn't, doesn't hold the the same weight, you know, until a few years later, but that's. uh... Now it does. It's actually (laughs) right beside me. Funny enough. Um, I had to have them out a couple of days ago and I haven't put them away yet. And, um, it is pretty cool. <laughs> okay. So I, I, this is a question. I feel like it's cliche, but like, where do you put them away? Do you not like keep them out in front? If I feel like if I had anything that was even remotely close to that impressive, I would be like putting it like on my like front door. So everyone could see it where you, you just keep yours in storage. When I was still competing, my medals were, I really only had my silver medal then. I only had the other two for a month and then I was done competing. But um, uh, for the most part, my silver medal is actually in my sock drawer. It's funny enough. I've heard like people joke about that. It actually, that is where it was um, for about four years. 
<laughs> and then I finally took it out of, uh, took it out of my sock drawer and put it in storage with the other medals. Um, I did have them on display for about a year because I had an office for the first time in my life. And I was like, you know what, we're actually going to put these up. Um, but then I moved again and I had no room. So I kept them in storage and then I moved again. And as much as they're special and they're an honor, seeing them every day when you don't compete anymore is a little bit of like keeping yourself in the past, I guess. And like, I love them. They're great, but they're not something I want to see every day. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Now, after 2014, you kind of had a a bit of a a challenging moment in your career. You broke your leg. Um, Take me back to that moment. What, what happened? A lot of series of unfortunate events. That is what happened. <laughs> um, there's this thing called the Olympic depression that a lot of people talk about. Um, and I never thought it actually affected me um, because once again, I didn't really watch the Olympics and I felt fine when I came home, but I was exhausted and I was having a really hard time like dealing with injuries that I was getting Uh, I had tore my hamstring right before the Olympics and because I wanted to compete, I kind of sucked it up and dealt with it. So I was dealing with a lot of like ramifications from dealing with that. Um, And then I went and got a stretch fracture on one of my foot feet. Um, So I was dealing with that and I was away at training camps and had to come home because of injuries. And I finally just looked at my mom and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, if I get injured one more time, I'm done. And literally two weeks later, I broke my leg doing nothing. I was supposed to be done 10 minutes before. And I decided to stay on the ice to work on this new choreography that I learned. And I turned forward and it wasn't even the foot I was standing on. I was standing on my left foot. I went to try to put my right foot down to stop because I saw someone coming and my foot just broke. (laughs) Um, And yes, it hurt. And yes, I did have to go get surgery. And, um, but the bone healed as good as my bone could heal. But I was so mentally done and frustrated and defeated that it took a long time for me to come back from that. Yeah. How, how, I guess going forward, how did that affect you? And how did you, you said it took a bit to heal kind of mentally. How did you kind of, what was that process like? It really took two full years for me to heal mentally from it. Um, At first I didn't want my bone to heal as fast as it did. (laughs) I looked at my doctor and I was like, I thought this was supposed to be longer to heal. Um, So I was kind of frustrated that I was already back on my feet within like six weeks, seven weeks, um, because I didn't want to step on the ice again. But when I didn't have my cast on anymore, I didn't have an excuse anymore. (laughs) So I stepped on the ice and it took me a long time to start training. And I was my coach was like aiming to get me ready for the national championships in January. We're already in like the beginning of November. So I was running out of time and one week I was starting to actually start landing things again. I was like, you know, maybe I could be back for the national championships, but then my foot started swelling again and I started having pain again. And I had to take it like 10 more steps backwards and ended up actually going for surgery again after I, um, I pulled out of national championships. And from there, my coach realized that me going back into training probably wasn't the best idea right away. And he made the idea of sending me away to like club shows and carnivals and teaching seminars and the things that he knew I loved and the reason why I loved performing and skating. So that helped get me through a lot of like my off season and started like tricking me into training again, because I had to be ready for these shows. So let's get myself back on my feet And next thing I know, the competition season started and it was a rough year. It was a terrible year. Um, And I missed the world championships by like 0.12. Like it was nothing that I missed world championships by. And my season was just over and I was upset. It wasn't the way I wanted it to go. And I looked at my coach then and I think this is when like the final like mental shift happened. I was like, I'm either done right now or I can go for two more years. 
Um, and obviously I made the decision to go two more years and only because I was tired of being upset and tired of being disappointed in myself. And I vowed then that for the next two years, I'm going to do everything in my power to be proud of how I, I uh, proud of who I am. So he, your coach didn't offer you another iTunes gift card. No. Okay. Okay. I think that might've worked though from what I've heard. I did win stickers every now and then we moved from gift cards to stickers. Okay. That's, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what, at that point, when you said you decided to, you know, return and, and continue your career, did you kind of know at that point that, you know, after the Olympics and the world championships of, of 2018, that that was probably going to be it for you after that? Had you already kind of started thinking about that? I think I thought about it in that moment when I made the decision to do two more years and then I never thought about it again until at the Olympics, (laughs) at the Olympics, I did the team event and pushing through for my individual. There was about 10 days in between. And when you're in an unfamiliar country for 10 days in a hype, in that pressure cooker situation where you want to be, your best. And I was aiming for a podium position then. So I went to my sports psychologist who I worked with really well, like a lot. Um, And I actually made the joke and I said, if I medal next week, I'm done. Like if I hit the podium, I'm done. I'm not doing this again. And then I was in third place and I was like, "Ah, this is cool. Um, And then coming home from there, that Olympic like emotional roller coaster set in and I was a wreck. I was crying like every five minutes. Uh, My coach looked at me and he's like, are you going to be able to make it? I was like, I don't think so. Um, (laughs) I was injured. I was dealing with a back injury that whole year and following the games. I was just like, I don't want to keep dealing with this injury. I'm like, I was just, I was a wreck. He even sent me to Toronto to work on choreography because I don't think he he said it was for me. I just don't think he wanted to deal with me anymore. Um, <laughs> but then I got to the world champion. Well, right before I left, I was talking to one of my friends and I was like, they're like, what happens if you win? I was like, well, the chances of me winning are like zero out of a million. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I thought that, but I was like, there's not a chance of me winning. Like I'm not that good. I never thought I was good enough to hit a podium. And then I was hitting podiums and I was like, well, I'm not good enough to win. I'll stick to my like second and third. Um, they're, they're like, yeah, but well, what if it happens? I'm like, well, if I ever win, I'm done. I'm like, I don't want to compete as a world champion. And then I went and won and I just stood on the podium and I started laughing and I was like, why didn't I say this my whole career? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess like in that moment, I, I, I kind of knew that that was that was it. I put like my final effort that I possibly could into the ice. And when I came home from there, like I tried to get back training. I tried to like reevaluate my situation. We actually choreographed a new program, like in the hopes of me wanting to come back. And I just couldn't put that mentality back into it. And I knew that I didn't want to compete if I wasn't in the mental headspace that I wanted to be in um, to get the job done and be proud and all that extra stuff. To rewind a little bit, you mentioned, uh, you know, after winning the silver in 2014, you didn't feel fully satisfied. What was it like then for both the gold you won in 2018 and the bronze, knowing that like you obviously were a big part of that team and a big part of the reason they were on the podium. Yeah, I got, I definitely felt more deserving <laughs> of that gold medal. And like I said, uh, once I got that gold medal with a very similar team, of course, it was a bit different, but um, it still had a lot of the same components as 2014. And I did feel like I was in a closer connection with them as people. Um, I was older, I had gone to more events with them and we had a goal together to hit that top podium in 2014. We didn't really know what was happening, uh, as that was the first time the team event was introduced. So in 2018, we went in as a lot like tighter group, um, with that goal in mind to win. And ultimately I was in 
a better like headspace because I had done more competitions. I was already going in as a silver medalist from the year before at Worlds. So I did feel like I had a, a bit more help in it. And I wasn't the person that people were like just pulling along for the ride. Um, so yeah, I did appreciate it a lot more and felt much more deserving of it. <laughs> Then, uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, as well the the world championship. Now, speaking personally, I've never been the best at anything in the world, let alone like on my street. I don't think I'm the best person at anything. What was it like to know that in that moment out of everyone on the planet, you were at the very top? It's hard to explain because, as I said, after the Olympic Games, I was – emotionally and physically exhausted to the point that I didn't think I was going to make it through the world championships. <laughs> I was in my program trying to think of ways that I could leave my event somehow, <laughs> um, which isn't really good of me to say, but I didn't think I was going to make it through four minutes of skating without just collapsing. <laughs> so um, I'm very proud of myself that I, I made it through, but because I was just so scared of making it through the event that the idea of hitting the podium was as far away from my brain as possible. I was in fourth place going into the free program and my short program was always my strongest. So for me to actually consider moving up in my long, I thought I could still only move up to maybe second at most. So it was a bit of a different sensation for me because I never thought I'd actually be on the top of the podium, let alone even on the podium that event. So I finished my program. And the first thing I said to my coach was just, I did it. And it wasn't that I won. I still had five more skaters to go before I knew that I won. Um, I just knew that I did something that I thought was impossible in that moment in time. And it was to make it from the beginning to the end. And I did it the second best I've ever done that skate. The only best being at the Olympic Games a month before. So I sat in the kiss and cry with him and waited for my scores. And as the results were coming up, one skater at a time, (laughs) I was like cluing in that I wasn't moving downwards. (laughs) And the world just went silent. Like I could see everyone cheering, but I think I was just so in shock that I didn't hear a thing. Everything was just like gone. Um, So, yeah, I don't know if that actually answers your question or not, but that that answered it perfectly. I think (laughs) that's uh, that's really Uh interesting. Yeah, I guess um, that would be quite a shock to, uh, you know, have that kind of Honestly, I could never know. I won't. I won't ever be at the top of any podium. So I'm not gonna. This is the closest I'm getting to understanding it. <laughs> it's a very um, surreal feeling. Um, the best I can describe it is pure relief um, from all the years of training, the commitment, the sacrifices, all the above. To be able to stand on a podium and say you did it is one of like it's a relief. <laughs> So it must have been quite shocking. I mean, not for you because it it was obviously your decision, but for the people maybe around you or just outside your immediate circle to, you know, shortly after hear that you were done. Yeah. I don't know if my coach fully knew that I had that idea, but I think when he showed up to the, and I showed up to the rank one day and my hair was chopped off, he had a feeling (laughs) I was never allowed to like really cut my hair after like except for it had to stay decently long so that I can do all the stuff for for competition and I showed up after the world championships and I cut it like all the way up to my chin so (laughs) I think that was like my first little like step in the water of saying I'm done um but it, it was a pretty big shock for a lot of people at the same time it was not a shock for a lot of people um the people who knew the injuries that I dealt with and the stress of the competitions, and they were progressively getting more and more stressful. And 
a lot of my closest friends knew that I wanted, I started skating to be a part of shows and I had the opportunity to go and do these shows finally. And um, yeah, I think the people that were in like my immediate vicinity and watched me train every day leading into my last two years, um, it didn't come as a complete shock. (laughs) Fair enough. I imagine for the first little bit after that, it's got to be a bit of like, uh, you know, kind of relief. Yeah. You're, you're a little less busy. I would imagine you don't have to uh, be at that level, but then there's got, was there a point where you kind of started to miss it? I mean, I read, I've heard you in different interviews say, you know, you, you really enjoyed being in the spotlight and kind of having that attention. What was it like afterwards when that was, was gone? It actually died down really fast, which was a bit of the shock to my system. Um, I was still living in my like Olympic glory and my world's glory. And a week later, everyone kind of started forgetting. <laughs> and I was like, I, I want to celebrate still, but, and, but I was on shows and I was traveling the world. So I was still like getting a bit of that spotlight every, every couple nights, if not every night. So it was, it was worth it. Um, and then the shows were done. And I finally like sat down and relaxed for a little bit. And I started contemplating. I was like, maybe I could go back competing. Um, but my body would just lie on the couch. And I'm like, no, we're not, we're not getting up today. <laughs> um, and then I was doing shows. So I, I toured the world for a full year, pretty much after I, I competed. And it was so much fun. I was loving every second of it. Um, and then I don't know, like I miss parts of it, but I know what I would need to do to commit to a lot of it again and be where I want to be. And I knew deep down in my core that I couldn't do that anymore. Um, so I don't know, I guess that is that. (laughs) What was it like, uh, uh, since then, watching the world championships and then this year watching the Olympics, but this time, you know, from afar as a, as a former competitor. Yeah. Every time I've watched a world championships, well, I didn't watch it for two years. (laughs) Um, I refused to watch it following my, I didn't watch skating for almost a full year. And then I didn't really watch big, big competitions for two years and then COVID happened and there was no competitions. So <laughs> it kind of helped me a little bit, <laughs> as bad as that sounds. Um, but then the World Championships came back and I watched them in Sweden last year. And I texted my coach and I was like, what do you think about me coming back? I'm like, do you think I could do it? Do you think I could be back? And he's like, it depends on what, you, what your goals are. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> I like the honesty. Um, <laughs> and for about like a week or two, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm like, I'm going to come back. I'm like, I'm not going to aim for a podium because like that's, that reality is long gone. But I'm like, maybe I can come back and like get something out of it again. And like I said, that lasted a week. And then I was like, yeah, no, I'm not coming back. Um, <laughs> but then I was watching the Olympic Games this year and I really didn't know what to expect. But I had the opportunity to go to CBC and work for, um, work with Kurt Browning and Brenda Irving on commentating for it, which was always a dream of mine. I always wanted to be on the other side of it. And I think that being able to be a part of that group helped a lot with not being out of games again, (laughs) Uh, not being in the competition again, not being the one that people were talking about anymore. I was the one talking about people and I was exhausted, to be honest. Um, I say I'm exhausted a lot. I don't know if that's a good thing. But um, <laughs> but I finished commentating and I was living in a dream world again. I was waking up at weird hours to be able to watch skating and actually appreciate a lot of the skating because when I competed I was in the last group and I didn't see anyone except the probably the skater after me compete. So to be able to watch some of the earlier groups and see the artistry and the talent of all, like everybody, um, it made it feel more special. 
And, but then I get all the adrenaline still of competing four years later, I still get like that nervous energy and I'm sitting in my chair, like vibrating. Um, but then I'm sitting in a chair and I'm not performing. So I don't have like an outlet for that. adrenaline. <laughs> so I just end up sleeping for three days straight after <laughs> that. That is fair. I, as someone who was also working the Olympic games, uh, I felt like I could have slept like five or six days straight. So uh, <laughs> I get that. I get that. Um, and what a, what an interesting Olympic games to uh, be watching from a figure skating perspective. Um, uh, I mean, I feel we're obliged to talk about Camilla uh, Valieva, the Russian figure skater who tested positive for a banned heart medication. What was your reaction as someone who, who you know, used to be at the top of this, seeing someone who, you know, coming into this was such a big name and people were so excited, excited about to hear that news? Honestly, I've been trying to find an answer for that ever since it came out. Um, I've been getting messages on social media, like, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? And I'm like, honestly, I don't, I don't know what my thoughts are. (laughs) Um, I was reading everything over my phone, very similar to what everyone else was reading. And I was hearing the anger amongst all the fans, amongst other skaters, um, previous and previous skaters and current skaters. Um, and people of other sports and I could feel that frustration and anger and I like wanted to be angry, but I think I just felt deflated. And when it came out, I just, I don't know why I felt defeated, (laughs) but that's kind of like the feeling that I had. And I didn't know how to comment on that. That's why I haven't really done much commenting on it. Um, and I was just thinking more about what the skaters must be feeling in the situation. So I'm out of it. It doesn't affect me anymore, but it does affect the people that are still competing or the people who want to be competing soon. And going into an Olympic games where you're living your absolute dream. Um, some people have been dreaming about it for years and years and years. And this was finally their chance after dealing with already the past two years of like undecided training, um, a very minimal audience in the stands. Your your parents couldn't even go and be in the stands. So like it was already a very different Olympic experience for a lot of people. Um, but they were still living their dream and they're still pushing to do their best. But then there's like after all of that, there's this extra noise on top of it. And um I just I couldn't help but feel for the other skaters. And it wasn't probably because a lot of them were trying to hit the podium because, well, there's a lot of skaters that that isn't their goal. Their goal was to go out there and make it through the free program, uh, make it to the free program or set a personal best or make it into top half. And I felt like that was kind of taken away from them or that opportunity was taken away from them because they didn't get that sense of glory because there was too much attention put onto that first group. Deservingly so like, a lot of that needed attention and needed to come out and needed to hopefully set a change in the skating world. Um, but in that moment in time, I did feel, feel for a lot of the other athletes. Yeah. And, and from uh, Valieva's perspective, I mean, we mentioned being in the spotlight. She went from being in like an incredibly positive spotlight where people were like, Oh wow, look how incredible she's doing to, right away it being so negative i just can't even imagine what that would be like did you ever have a a situation like that where you know uh maybe when you broke your leg or i don't know where you just kind of things went from positive to negative like that (laughs) like that i don't think not like that yeah (laughs) obviously not like that (laughs) like that no Uh, (laughs) but like i guess i had it a little bit where I already had a lot of doubts in my own skating. Um, I've said it a couple of times already. I just, I never thought it was that good. I didn't think I had that ability to be at the top. Um, And for my first like two years out on the scene, I was winning a lot of competitions. And if I wasn't winning, I was still like doing something decently incredible for the Canadian world. So I had a lot of hype, a lot of attention. And then I went and broke my leg and I was trying to come back and I was making mistakes internationally. 
I had like the world's worst skate of my life at Skate Canada back in 2016, I think. I don't know what year that was. It might have been 2015. Um, and I just, in those moments in times, I did see articles written about me that were like, oh, maybe she can't come back. Oh, she's not where she was. Oh, blah, 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 blah. Like it was a lot of all of a sudden negativity around me um, already amplifying the disbelief in myself. So like that hurt me quite a bit, but from the Valieva experience, she came out this year ready to hit a world gold, uh, an Olympic gold medal. Like she wasn't aiming to hit the podium. She was out here for a vengeance to win. Um, And she was easily able to do it. She was setting world records at every event that she went to this year. And when you go into the games as the most talked about person, there's already so much pressure added onto you, let alone she's 15 years old with very minimal competition experience. She's only been out for the last couple of years and this was her first year senior. So good for her for even doing that much. But then after the team event, expecting to go up onto a podium and then the podium gets delayed. And then you find out this about this positive effect. Well, the positive drug test that you did um, and then the uncertainty and if you're allowed to compete and then can I train and can I like everything was up in the air everything was questionable and then on top of that she had the world like looking at her and being like oh you're a disgrace you shouldn't be allowed on the ice and stuff like this and it's it's unbelievable how someone could still go on the ice and compete after all of that like for her to even show up I'm like you know, like, good for you, honestly. Um, which I know a lot of people will disagree with me for saying that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to look at the human side of it, too, right? Like, sport aside, it was it was heartbreaking to, you know, her, her skate where she struggled and you could tell she, she was struggling. Um, I mean, the, the whole, for me at least, the whole drama of it all, uh, the, the positive test and all that, it was just kind of this human moment of like, you really saw how much that would impact her. And like you said, fairly so she's 15 years old. I can't imagine dealing with anything like that at the age of 15, let alone the age I'm at now. Exactly. And as a 15 year old, you look at your coaching team and looking at the people that you're supposed to be trusting and in that moment in time, she couldn't look to her coaching team for trust and support. So, and her parents weren't there at the Olympics because of all of this extra stuff outside of the Olympics. So then you're left there essentially alone and with the whole world hating you. And I, I couldn't imagine anything like that. You know, given kind of where we are at in the sport, you obviously, you do, you do coaching. You've, you've talked to a lot of young athletes. Um, What kind of advice do you give to young people who are looking to uh, get into the sport competitively or already in the sport competitively? So I find, I like to keep it fun for a lot of the athletes. Skating is very political. It's very, difficult we have a lot of months of training and it all comes down to a total of seven minutes on the ice at each event at which you could make or break that event completely um and you can be as trained as you want to be but that ice is slippery and like camilla showed it at the olympics she never made a mistake and she hit a lot of mistakes all at once and because of the mental aspects and because you can only fight your brain so much. (laughs) So I like to point out to a lot of my skaters that like skating can be fun and you can have a passion for it. But the reality is only one person every four years hit the top of an Olympic podium. And you never know if that's going to be the same in four years. Like it's the reality is, is that there's just not that many high level positions and not to be discouraged by that, to still aim for all the different dreams that skating can bring. Um, skating has so many different routes. You can go the competition route. You can go the show route, the coaching route, the choreography, 
judging, technical specialing, like there's so much to the sport. And as long as you love it and love, have a passion for it, like any aspect of it, then your dreams will come true, but they might not necessarily be the original dream that you started with. It wasn't for me. I didn't think that I was ever going to make the Olympics. It was never a dream because I just did not believe that that was like humanly possible. Um, my dream was to be a Disney princess and um, I'm not a Disney princess, <laughs> but I did go to the Olympics. So like, yeah, um, dreams can change as long as you're willing to keep working. You mentioned all the different things that you can kind of get out of skating, get out of the sport. What do you think um, you got out of it in the end? Medals. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair, very fair, <laughs> probably a lot. Um, I got a lot of amazing friendships and a life that not many how old am I? 26 year olds can say, um, I've been able to travel the world and see new cultures. I've been able to interact with different humans on an artistic basis and learn more about their styles. And, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was the friendships that I built and the sense of community that I felt, um, no matter where I go, if I meet someone new, I feel like everybody knows at least one skater in their life or knows of one historic skater or a coach or something. So whenever I meet someone and say that I'm a skater, they're like, oh, do you know so-and-so? And I'm like, actually, yes. I'm like, I met them at like some random event years ago, but yes, I do know them. And um, it just, it feels hum- like, a connection there. And I think that sense of community is something that I've always desperately needed. Um, when you don't believe in yourself very much, believing that you belong somewhere is very comforting and necessary. So for me, that's the biggest thing that I got from skating. Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great to chat. Thank you for having me. That was my conversation with three-time Olympic medalist and world champion, Caitlin Osmond. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, If you'd like to reach out to the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Canada's Court. You can also uh, send an email to Canada's Court Podcast at gmail.com. And what I'd like you to, if you do reach out, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to tell me, in this new format of Canada's Court, where we're talking to all athletes, Who do you want to hear from? Who are the athletes that you want to hear their story told on the podcast? I would love to hear who you've got in mind. We've got a few more coming coming your way, so definitely keep an eye out for that. But if you have some people you think, you know, I'd really like to hear from them, shoot me an email, send me a tweet. Love to hear about it. Uh, Please make sure to leave a rating or review wherever you're listening to this. And, of course, share it with your friends. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening.